Yeah, I'm surprised like the the at home cocktail pod didn't do well last year or these past couple of years. Maybe people are just drinking straight out of the bottle these days. Who knows? (laughs) I I can speak for that. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to our second and last exclusive episode of the pod, Densu at CES Unscripted. We're still focused on finding ways to inject humanity and insight into modern marketing, but with attention on CES, the annual trade show showcasing the latest products and technologies within the consumer electronics industry. Today, we have Val Vacante, Director of Strategy, Product Experience and Innovation at Merkle, Sarah Stringer, EVP, Head of U.S. Media Partnerships at Dentsu, and Michael Liu, SVP, Head of Innovation at Cara U.S. Join us to wrap up the virtual CES week. Welcome, guys. Gals, y'all. Nice. Hey. Let's dive in. If you could explain CES this year in one word besides virtual, what would it be? I'll, I'll defer to Val first because she's the actually only one there right now. It's just, it's very, very unique. And I think it will be hopefully a positive moment in history where it's like the quiet before everybody comes back, I hope. But yeah, very, very quiet. <laughs> Dare I say the word reborn? I feel like it became very commercial, very branded, very what have you. But at the end of the day, I feel like this really takes it back to its like diehard fans of technology and, you know, what does the next generation of objects in your household look like? And it takes it away from the meetings that you would have for the rest of the year just in Vegas to really getting back to the hardcore, like what's happening with technology. So maybe this would be a good reset. I was going to say exciting. To all the points that Sarah just said, I I think I have a tremendous amount of relief to not be there and just kind of like be away from the crowds. But FOMO to not be there and to see, you know, I heard CES had 200 plus vendors pull out, but I think over 150 signed back up like immediately. And so I wonder like the, the larger big tech companies just kind of coming out of it, and then who are they being filled with? Probably smaller fringe tech companies. And so to be, you know, around all like the bleeding edge technology companies would be pretty exciting. So I kind of wish I was around that. But, you know, we've got Val there. So hopefully she can give us some insight on that later. Why do you think CES is still important for brands? Even for a second year where we're not all there together, how is this important still and relevant for advertisers? I think it's just a reflection of where we are. You know, the, the production cycle for a lot of these technologies is quite long. So that's why whenever we go, we're like, okay, cool. Incremental steps and many things. We've dreamt about, you know, flying cars and robots and all these types of things in the past. But whenever we go to CES, we see incremental changes, which is great. But I think this year specifically, and even last year a little bit, we're starting to see a lot of these products change into like the way that we're living now. And a lot of that was spurred from the pandemic. And a lot of that is, you know, telehealth. A lot of that is, you know, robotics that are really helpful in in many ways that are useful instead of just kind of, you know, press pieces. So I think being at CES this year particularly will help inform a lot of our brands of how consumers are going to be needing assistance and or utilizing new technologies in in their day-to-day lives. CES in the same way as CAM. CES kicks us off for the year and it gives us the time to sort of set the agenda for what's coming and gives people the time and space to actually think about what's going to take place in the future. And I think can is always a good opportunity then to be like, oh, it's mid-year, what have you done yet? And if you haven't done anything, maybe you should get on with it because the end of the year will be approaching soon. I think it's really hard for people to be able to take the time to say, 
what does the future look like? And CES gives you such a great opportunity to go, wow, look at all this stuff that's coming. Are we even prepared to even start having these conversations in what we're doing with our brands, the direction of our company, the values, the things that people are going to care about? So I think as much as it's as exciting to see the new technology, it gives people like the freedom and mindset to actually have a meaningful conversation about it. And I think, you know, we've all felt very overloaded with work, very bombarded with finding the time for ourselves, even just to, you know, leave the house to go for a walk sometimes. And the last couple of years has been, you know, a huge example of that. I think having a moment in time that allows everyone to get on the same page, even if it's just for a week or three days or two days, is very important. I completely agree. And it's interesting kind of where I sit in my role because I'm more in product innovation. And so a lot of the clients that I'm dealing with, the conversations we're having, CES, not only from a, a launch pad perspective for like the, the smaller brands or the big starry glitter, right, of like robots and flying cars, as we talked about a moment ago. But when it comes down to, you know, your everyday consumer brands, whether they're, they're launching a product there or not, it's their North Star, it's their compass. It's like, what technology is being seen there? I need to know it, I need to grab it, I need to touch it, I need to be a part of it. So how do all those things kind of play? What do they mean to the everyday consumer who might buy a toy, who might buy a blender, you know, who might buy the thing? So kind of where I live, it's, it's always been that North Star that in, one educates brands as they're shaping their new products. So they may, it may cause them to pivot. It may cause them to think about things differently in the development life cycle, you know, inspire new partners as well. So like, like we were saying earlier about what's interesting this year is about, you know, having a lot more of the smaller companies there. So, for all the corporate innovators, you know, who are looking for their partners, those are the people who, if they're comfortable with it, being here and finding those like newcomers and new partners. So kind of from my world where I sit and the sort of importance of CES, I guess. That's a great rallying cry for CES. I'll build on that slightly because I, I think that's completely right, especially from the product standpoint, because every year if, if we start to see new technologies kind of being talked about, in the news cycle and, and, and in blogs and things like that. But CES, you actually see these being prototyped or built. And then, you know, every year as you see more and more, but it's like, okay, fine. These might be signals that it could be a real thing. And so as marketers, we start to understand, you know, the devices that our, our consumers are going to be using every day or in the future. And so what is that relationship that they have with that device? And, you know, how do we speak to them or market to them better is a really good key indicator for marketers to be there and actually understand the, the growth of these sectors. So what brands and companies have made an impression this CES? A surprising one for me that has got a lot of headlines, I guess today, I don't know when they announced, was John Deere and their autonomous tractor. I mean, look, who would have thought I'd be talking about tractors for our CES roundup? But it's, you know, they've been doing a lot in innovation. They have had, you know, Apparently, tractors have been able to steer themselves for a while now, but you'll have someone in the cab. But this is now fully autonomous. Essentially, you know, this is this answers a key issue that particularly within the US, the agricultural community face is actually a lack of people to be able to do some of the work that's required to essentially, you know, grow and, and uh, look after the land. So, so I think it's really interesting to see some of these lesser known categories really starting to make a play into CES. Car companies, we have to talk about that. CS is now basically an auto show in its own right. And now the question mark is, 
if you don't have an actual physical prototype, does it even matter? So what we're seeing now is this sense of um, people showcasing concept cars that actually don't physically show up on the floor. People can now see the car through 3D renders, thanks to some of the game engines that we're now seeing coming up in, in 3D design, which I think, again, is, is a huge sense of, you know, where does innovation come from? Does it physically need to be there to know that that innovation is happening? Yeah, I found it odd because when I went to CES in 2020, we saw, I, I was like sitting in a Sony car and I thought it was like the coolest thing. I was like, oh my God, is this just going to be a, a gigantic gaming console? They released a second version, I think, in this year. So it skipped a couple of years, but I haven't even seen the first version out. So I, I wonder if a lot of these technology companies are just hopping on this auto wave of, you know, just needing to be like that next big iteration of their tech company is, is auto. There's such a big market. So like obviously Apple's coming out with the car, which is going to be freaking huge. Will we see like a Microsoft car? Are we going to see like the Sony car actually come to fruition? So what what's next? You know, this the CS is great because you can start to imagine new and imagine next. But then sometimes I wonder how that might affect value in general when it comes to these legacy brands and like the pressure it's going to put on them to innovate. It's just a mega marketplace of prototypes to see how much PR they get, how much public interest there is, where would potential funding come from, and really just gauging then the sense of excitement around certain things to identify whether or not it's even something you should run with. Yeah, like in 2020, I remember distinctly taking a picture of a Hyundai slash Uber collab for a flying taxi. And I was like, there's no way this is happening. It's supposed to drop in 2022. That's this year. And so, you know, they they just released a Hyundai luxury boat this year. So I'm just wondering, like, well, where's the taxi then? So very much to your point of balancing between, is this just a, a way for these big companies to get press and, and get some mind share in the press, get some word of mouth versus actually developing and maybe seeing what sticks, but they have to ship at some point, right? If they're going to keep talking about this. And so I'm really curious on... Is there going to be pressure on them to ship or are there going to be excitement to still have concepts and not never ship? I mean, an interesting example of that was, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, the Kuring cocktail at home, kind of like a coffee machine, but it was cocktails and you could get yeah. your little like, you know, pods for your cocktail and it could make you the perfect drink. They have since discontinued that machine. That was the main purpose of that actually to create something that then would be a scaled, you know, consumer product that would then be a completely different angle or is it something that, you know, was just a giant experiment just to see if it's something they wanted to move into or not. So I think it's kind of like a, a giant test bed of what do we think people actually care about? And how yeah. can we maybe get it out to market where someone might be willing to pay for it? I mean, it's the Google Glass model, right? Get a lot of people to pay for it, test it, and then we'll see where it takes us. Being on the product side and on that side of CES for, for many years now, completely agree with, with where both of you are. And CES does do a good job in terms of mix. For example, there's the CES Innovation Awards. As you guys know, the most coveted award you can get at CES. And there, there are constraints, like the product actually has to launch. <laughs> like it has to go out into the world. I think, Sarah, I can tell you firsthand um, with some products we've worked on, we have actually launched connected products at CES. And, you know, that one would go out. And then the next year, we'd launch a different iteration of it because it was built on that tech. Maybe that product didn't catch on, but the base of the tech that we used after doing, you know, more research and getting more consumers and everybody, you know, involved in it, it's like, okay, 
that one didn't quite work out, but we're hearing all this other stuff. So we pivot, adjust, you know, take those learnings, take all the R&D that we've already done and there's still value there. And so like, let's make something that's gonna be even more valuable to consumers. In, in conversations I've had with clients, both big and small, more I would say on the large side of the sort of fortune companies of the world and their corporate innovation teams, we will actually create a innovation framework and have a test and learn roadmap and really kind of cherry pick, okay, which ones do we want to take to those innovation you know, centric events? Where are we wanting to do not a PR stunt, but actually get real world people interacting with the prototypes. There is a program we actually had here at CES many years ago called Tech Up. And we curated brands from all around the world, both big and small, and brought them to CES, brought them to different events, not only just to curate them and bring them to the events and you know see what people were saying about them, but we would also do tests and then kind of report back like how are people engaging with the product and come up with some of depending on the type of product it was, you know, we'd come back with like here's here's some different revenue streams you might want to think about, or hey, people really like this bit, you could actually have, you know, an additional product accessory, et cetera, coming out of it. So that's the stuff I geek out about. (laughs) Well, I think you all three do, but I think that's what the essence of CES really can provide to marketers is even in that prototype phase, it's possible. It's possible to be made. Maybe it's not 100% there yet. Maybe we're not ready to adopt it as consumers. And maybe that's the whole point of CES, but it's possible. And so I think knowing and finding that inspiration in the beginning of the year is something that CES can provide that no one else can. And it's also so innovation focused that... It's a place that doesn't, I mean, yes, we do have the conference rooms. If you get stuck in a conference room like me, I've only been to the show floor once in my life. So that's real sad of the seven years I've been at CES, but everyone else has hit the show floor. And I think that is the coolest part that they don't normally get to do. It's not your typical conference or, you know, experience. So losing that sometimes is a little sad and what you can see in those conceptualizations, because you're not going to see that in the media covering CES this year. You're you're just not going to experience that same level. But That said, let's talk about a little bit of the future. So you all have innovation tech partner roles within the organization. What are going to be some of the most important areas of focus in 2022 for innovation and media? Metaverse is like one of those super buzzy words that we've obviously been hearing a lot about. The reality is as much as, you know, we've seen, you know, even at CES, obviously there's been a lot of conversation around just gaming overall, like a lot of you know, your big traditional household names have come out with, you know, stronger chips to and, and really been showcasing, obviously, the implications of that. I think Metaverse is something that a lot of brands are going to be talking about this year and kind of, I think, freaking themselves out a bit around what does that mean? What should I be doing now? How do I actually get involved? I think the reality is there's a lot that can be done at the moment, particularly around, say, when we think of, you know, spatial internet or even, you know, just AR overall, there are still so many things that you could apply day-to-day to your business now that will set you up for good learnings around 3D, how your asset can be looked with and played with in a spatial environment. So AR is a really easy way for a number of brands to start thinking about how does your brand show up for people to interact with in spatial digitized fashion. So I think that is something that brands should be, should be dabbling with today knowing that all the learnings that they will get from that will help them out. If we talk about, you know, platforms that will be persistent with like the real world uh, layered on with a digital world 
and having like persistent shareable experiences in terms of a real world metaverse and then transform that into then what we think, you know, the growth of VR is going to be. You know, we know that the Quest 2 had some really great sales over the holidays and I imagine more and more people are going to be introduced to the idea of spatial internet through VR. You know, VR is having a bit of a comeback. Like people talked a lot about VR for a few years and it was a little bit poo-pooed because people were like, they're not going to spend the money. There's not really that many experiences on it. I think now we're starting to see that, you know, there's a little bit more um, momentum around it. PlayStation just announced their VR2 product as well on the main stage at, at CES. So I think there's going to be more sense of what does metaverse mean, but actually in VR, AR experiences that, you know, you can work with a number of our largest partners today on getting that out to market. You know, when you think about some of the conversations that we are talking with our clients about, you know, exactly what you said, sort of AR, not just for AR's sake, but, you know, to your point, if if it's going to help educate, if it's going to help extend that experience, you know, and no matter what it is and make it beautiful and wonderful and more connected, platforms like 8th Wall that enable brands you know, to have web-based AR experiences are super affordable, accessible ways, easy to kind of do small test and learn to see how those work out. The advantage we have is being kind of the eyes and ears and bringing those partners and bringing those sort of collabs to the clients. A large part of what we do is kind of scout the globe. And again, that's why CES is perfect. A perfect place for innovation scouting is kind of scouting the globe and really teaming up with our our partners and brands. CES brings value, bringing those collabs and, and doing those test and learns. And again, CES inspiring that. Those are some really exciting places and there's just countless amounts of areas that our brands could be taking advantage of that that are going to just blow up in 2022, which was, you know, a lot of it was live shopping. A lot of it was audio. I think audio this year is going to be huge again. I know this is quite edge, but I, I'm the most excited about this, which is Web3 and where that will head. A lot of brands and NFT projects in general will start to build on their story and start to build on their IP. I'm really, really excited to see how that plays out. And I think a lot of brands should be and will be getting into Web3 overall just to see an experiment because there are a lot of great things of privacy, of transparency, of immutability, of ownership of your own data, ownership of your own assets. I think it's going to be a lot of experimentation this year of how new incentive structures will be built that are no longer based off of advertising and attention but we will be based off of community and trust and the products that you're shipping and the people's love that they have for it. So that poses us in a really interesting place as advertisers of if we imagine this new world that we think is the next iteration of the internet, which I think Web3 is maybe not going to replace Web2. It's more going to be sitting aside next to it or as a layer to it. But if there's not advertising there intrinsically, like how do brands communicate with this audience? And I think that's where our agency and the the experts in the subject matter experts that we have here are going to be helping our brands explore and and really determine what that looks like. It's still still very, very new. It's going to be very, very early, but I think it's very important to get a a jump on it right now because this is clearly where it's heading despite the, the criticism, because I think the criticism is valid, but this is so new that these things can be optimized and built to address those sooner or later. I think NFTs are the perfect example of hype around CES versus the reality of the situation. Because the reality is only 2.8% of 
US internet users own some sort of NFT, digital, whatever. But obviously the conversation around it is huge. And I've seen a stat somewhere, but it's something like of the 10% of all NFT owners own 80% of the most expensive like NFTs out there. So the question is the inequity that is being created then around the idea of the richest people, the people who can control what Web3 will look like if we are talking about people with consensus, like how equitable is that going to be when people have already got like a jump start? So the question is, aren't we just creating then a new version of who is the most in power and in control of a network based on percentage of ownership thanks to this? So there's a broader conversation to be had here. And if knowing how important equitable access for brands to speak to a number of key people and how important it is to make sure that we are giving everyone a fair share, what that will mean around the trend of NFTs as we continue to see it become like the 1% of the 1% in terms of ownership and access. That's like such a good point, Strings, because that is one of my biggest criticisms as well as you have all these decentralized everything type of mindset of people of, you know, Web3 is going to solve all that. But then you look at those types of statistics of, well, the early adopters are going to be the one percent, right? Like they're the ones building. But at the same time, you have to reward the ones who are building this new future. And I think the interesting thing about it is how do we, again, going back to what incentive structures can be and how you experiment with them, the community can leave and devalue you if they choose to. And I think that's an interesting thing. As we think as brands and marketers, that's that's essentially what happens to brands today, right? Something happens and then people leave that brand and boycott that brand. Web3 is a really fluid and liquid way of doing it because people are voting with their wallets, literally and figuratively here. You know, we talk about ownership. So my son, you know, now he's 12. So he's super into Fortnite. And the largest generation playing Fortnite, I believe, is between 18 and 24. So a lot of people think Fortnite's like child's play, but it's not. Those are the people that are in the workforce, the new generation who are wanting that sense of ownership, who are already investing, you know, in NFT or uh, because they grew up gaming, right? And so they're going to want that sense of ownership. And that's like how like they've been living <laughs> already growing up from like the early days of gaming into the workforce now. And so I think we're going to just see when we talk about virtual land as an example, like who's buying that? What brands are obviously investing in that? Where is that going to go? Okay, yeah, I can buy some land. What are you going to do with this land? <laughs> what are we building on this land here? How is it going to tie back to, you know, a brand, a product experience? How is that going to become an asset, you know, instead of a waste? No one has it figured out, but I think that this is the this is the right generation and the right time because of the upbringing and because of that kind of physical digital play when it comes to commerce and understanding value and what they want out of value, right? <laughs> that's that's exactly like the word value in general, like for this next generation and this next iteration of the web is how do you create value? You know, when things are not naturally scarce in the digital format, I think that's what everybody's so uncomfortable about is like, you're pretty much creating scarcity out of thin air with this stuff. And I think that's a lot of criticism for people who are not as familiar with it, but there's definitely some truth there. And so what I'm excited about is how, as we start to upload our lives more and more to the digital space, as we're doing now, we're having this conversation over Zoom and everybody's, you know, experiencing all these events through Zoom. And, and as we start to continue to, interact and participate as citizens in this digital world, then you need to be able to find ways to create value, trade value, 
and be able to, you know, transfer value. And I think Web3 will allow that. And so when we look back on this pod in five to 10 years, it'll be quite interesting to see how different the world will be or not. Who knows? I appreciate (laughs) that you promised you're going to listen to this pod in five to 10 years. I will remind you of that, Mike. When we go back to value though, right? What is that saying about consumers' view of value now? How has that shifted? Because technology feeds consumers, consumers feed technology. It's a never-ending cycle, but this wasn't created from thin air. It was created from a thought or some sort of consumer behavior that now has created this other thing. And this is going to continue to evolve. Maybe not 100% this year, but what is it that consumers are finding as value? Is it even more personalization? Is it the ownership? Is it both? Like being able to own it and claim that this is my unique brand? Like there's something there to be said about consumer behavior that's going to shape what value is going to look like and that's going to really impact brands in the future. I think there's value in scarcity now. And it's this idea that something has, there is a finite amount of something. And we come, the advertising community comes from a background of abundance we are reaching frequency. We are blasting everything at you as much as we can. We're going to try and make it as efficient as possible. We need to hit you, you know, four times this month. And we become like just wallpaper. People are like, I'm switching you off. I'm bombarded with a million messages all the time. I don't necessarily want to hear this from you. The reason we have to have personalization is to have something that will cut through the noise. And I think what we're going to see coming back on the on the flip side, and I think, you know, this is really where the culture of, you know, Hype culture, sneaker culture, NFT culture now comes from this sense of scarcity. The idea that I can own something or I can flex something that not everyone has. I think we'll start to see a flip in the way that advertisers will start to look at this marketplace and say, you know what, maybe if I don't show up as often, but when I do show up, it's valuable to people. And that value, we need to work out what that value is going to be, whether it is monetary, maybe there is a reseller market around it. Maybe it's an experience. Maybe it's access to something that other people can't get, like content. Maybe it is, you know, a piece of actual physical clothing. Maybe it's going to be, you know, a digital piece of clothing. Like, who knows? But the fact is is that we need to get to a model where people are actively seeking out what brands are doing in these new experiences and these new worlds so they can get cut through. Because blasting more and more messages at people in the hope that something sticks is not it. And we don't want to create a new environment where we are just polluting it with more and more and more noise because that is not going to give you the value that people need. And I think, you know, this is why as part of our attention economy research, we have been looking at new ways that we can cut through, create contextual relevancy, really understand where we can make sure that people think that a brand or realize that a brand is being valuable in a particular moment. And this is what we're looking to try and encourage more clients to start to look at is how can you be more valuable in that moment? So you're not something that is being actively ignored. And I think as we continue to look at more digitized experiences, spatial internet, you know, even the fact that AR should become more of a utility now versus just, you know, someone swiping on a lipstick every now and again, now and then, even though quite frankly, that is a utility if you don't want to wear makeup on a Zoom call. Um, (laughs) But the fact is, is that these are the types of things that we need to start challenging how we show up as advertisers and the way that we work with partners to start creating these models that really add genuine value to someone's experience when we show up. We're saying to test things out, but also don't blast things to consumers to make them hate you, right? Where is that fine balance? What advice do you have for marketers to act on some of these technologies that we think are going to stick and really impact the industry? 
a lot of the conversations that I will say personally have with clients is a lot about test and learn. From a brand's perspective, they're they're tuning into CES, they're they're taking notes. NRF is just around the corner. South by Southwest is right after that, right? So there's all this just innovation and interesting stuff happening. What do I what do I need to know about? I enjoy and strongly advise clients to like, let's pick out what are what are the top priorities, right? Like, and just taking a step back, we'll actually work on this innovation framework, right? We're like, big company goal. What is the CEO saying this year? What is the big mission, vision, right? Cool. Okay. Now knowing that, let's pull out these pillars and let's explore these different areas that might make sense to the brand, right? We're going to go and actually test and learn, make an investment, a small investment into three to five of these in each pillar. We're going to go do that. They're not all going to work. We got to be okay with that. What it's going to mean is we're going to learn. We're going to learn. We don't need to invest in that area or we're going to get some things here, as we talked about earlier, remix them that are going to like launch into other opportunities that may not have been realized. So I strongly recommend having an ongoing pipeline of test and learn having some budget associated with that. You don't have to have it all figured out, but like be able to do that. I agree. I don't think that test and learn and being thoughtful about how you show up are at odds with each other. Like blasting it out for me when I say that is about a thoughtless, like we're just going to try and hit everyone and see how it goes, which, you know, it is still a valid test and learn approach. Like who actually decided they cared when we showed up there for sure. I just think that we need to be better about understanding the context of where we show up and then tailoring it to that moment because people are very attuned to advertising now and they're very good at switching it off. The challenge for us and the challenge for our brands is why are you there right now? Why are you speaking to someone and how can you make that as a meaningful moment as possible? We see all these things. We criticize projects that fall on their face and we criticize brands who do something that makes zero sense sometimes. But the silver lining is that they did it. The big thing that brands should take away from CS is just seeing people's imagination and where the future will lead us and the, the future behavior and the future consumer that they will have will have a relationship with media, have a relationship with devices, have a relationship with each other commerce, everything like that. And so I think CES is just a a great place for them to stretch their imagination a bit. And hopefully something will spark, whether it's a very watered down version of what they saw on the floor, or if it's something that's exactly what, you know, they saw on the floor. So my advice would just to be, please just take a small percentage of your budget and just test something, be strategic with it, be intentional with it, but don't, don't be bogged down with the corporate barriers that you're typically used to and just get it done. You know, what's really exciting for us at Merkel is we're actually launching our first products at CES. That is awesome. Yay, right? It's our first for a company to launch these new products at CES. So it's under the umbrella Shop Next. The idea is all of these products that we've developed, we now have three. Um, (laughs) They're all app-free. They were all designed to be able to test and learn very quickly without a heavy investment. So we can go in and there's actually three different products, one called Scan and Know. So it's all about no more in-store. What we've done is we've, it integrates into a retailer's existing website. So same 
customer profiles, same loyalty program. I'm a customer. I can go in the store. I can scan an item and just find out the price, find out ingredients, whatever information, ship it to your door, send it to a friend as a gift, done. And then the other one, which we launched last year, was a scan and go. So app-free, contactless payment checkout, same thing, integrates into the website, do a test in weeks. And then lastly, the other one that we're launching here at CES is called Unbox It. And we say connect where it matters most upon arrival and out of the box. So a smart packaging platform connects with the content and boom, you're launched into an experience. Like get your instructions, get started. Um, Beauty brands, like what am I supposed to do with this cream? Smart anything, smart speaker, et cetera. I don't have to go through the big book. I can just scan it. So we're super proud, really excited to be launching these. And we did have that mindset of, hey, how can we make something that's super easy, useful for consumers, but that isn't going to hit retailers on a like that massive wallet and they can just test and learn, see what they think and come on the journey with us. God knows I could have used that for any IKEA package I've ever bought ever. All right. I'm going to do top three lightning round questions. So these are going to be super fast. Most interesting company you've read about so far around innovation and CES? What I'm really fascinated about is just space. CES making a big investment in space, making it more accessible to the folks here. And I think there's even brands like Zero G. So there's a specific brand, Zero G, who take people up into zero gravity and back down to earth. And they're starting to do this in more and more cities around the country. The prediction is it's going to become more accessible. Hopefully the price point comes down to be more accessible to people. But I think that's interesting. I mean, have, have you guys ever been into zero G? I haven't. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds cool. I'm not a billionaire, unfortunately. So I figure until that happens, I'm probably not going to make it off planet. I'm not, but Sarah, it is a couple grand. So if you make a small lottery winning or get a great tax I'm in. check, you can do it. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Weirdest stuff you saw or read? We've all seen over the last few years at CES, they've had like, you know, little like companion technology, you know, like I think there's like things that you can cuddle to kind of feel like a little bit better about yourself and not feel so lonely if you're either like a child or maybe like elderly and... I think those devices are really nice. A really weird one I've seen this year is a little robot, like teddy bear that nibbles your finger like a puppy would or like a small child would. And apparently the reason they've created it is that in a weird way, there's some sense of satisfaction from having something nibble your finger. But obviously if you own a pet or your child bites you, that's something that you teach them not to do. So apparently someone has built a toy that allows you to get the satisfaction of someone nibbling your finger without then the bad social etiquette of a dog or child doing it. So that is the weirdest thing that I've read about that came out at CES. That's my new response to then. The nibbling factor is a little freaky. Sarah, that's exactly the one I have up on my screen. No joke. The uh, Amagami Ham Ham. Same. <laughs> we clearly read the same stuff. Like, <laughs> okay, least favorite word used in the technology space? Metaverse. NFT. <laughs> Both concur. Yeah. Com- 
completely agree. I, I even have like, there's publications out there where I actually joke about both of those words being the most, <laughs> most used word. But I'm going to throw out there transformation just because it's like, come on, guys, how long have we been seeing transformation? I feel like there's like cut to like Wall Street looking people from the 80s saying transformation. It's like... <laughs> Also, aren't we always transforming? Like the idea that you're like, oh, we're transforming. And it's like, what, there's a beginning and there's an end? It's like, no, there's no end. It's always transforming. Last but not least, what's one thing you miss about being in CES in person? The people and the randomness. Yeah, for me, it's exploring the floor and seeing things that I would never have imagined. It's, it's pretty much everything except for the crowds. So that would have been perfect this year, Val. I was reaping the benefits. Yeah, you would love it. <laughs> There's like empty. It is a very strange and surreal year here. It is great for the openness, but I do miss all of like my colleagues and friends. I mean, CES is a place and just, just like South by Southwest and, you know, a lot of the other events I think all of us were used to going to. It was almost like micro reunions, right? You'd see your friends and your colleagues and you have the shared interest and thinking and ideas. So a lot of those people aren't here right now. So I miss them. <laughs> yeah. Missed opportunity for someone not to recreate the chandelier bar virtually. <laughs> all right. Well, I think you got a project. <laughs> I know, Mike. Thanks for, thanks for promising that to our audience. Well, I cannot thank you three enough for joining the pod. As always, it's great to talk. And Val, thanks for joining us for the first time. We're hopefully having you back very soon. Thank you. Awesome. Val, Sarah, and Michael, thanks so much for joining the special edition of the podcast. And thanks for listening to an exclusive episode of Denzu at CES Unscripted on the Human Element. You can find us anywhere. You can find your pods. Give us a like, subscribe, or send us a note. We'll be back out to you real soon. And in the meantime, be well. Thank you.